reminding me. This is the first time I've preached since uh, Kinsley has been with us. Um, and there was a difference in the prep and in my mindset this whole week. Um, but uh, it's been such a joy and a learning experience to have her in our lives. And uh, you guys have all been such a great, I've said this before, but I, I'll keep saying, you guys have been such a great support. It's been so wonderful to connect with many of you over parenting. Um, and just to hear your stories and your encouragement. And so I want to take a moment, if you will, just to kind of report back on things. Um, so my report is, everything that you have said is true. <laughs> and so, <laughs> everything you have said and told me is true. Even things that are like conflicting that I didn't think, like some of you have said, oh, when you get home from the hospital, that's when it's going to get really hard. And some of you have said, oh, when you get to the once you get home from the hospital, it'll be a bit easier. And somehow both of those things are true. I don't know <laughs> how it works out, but in my head, they're both true. Um, I think some of you, some one of you guys put it in a way of like spinning plates. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know if we have a plate spinner in this church, but, or maybe just everyone knows this analogy, but you know, the long poles and there's plates on top and they're spinning. And it's just like you were already spinning plates and then someone handed you another, you couldn't put down any of the other plates. You had to keep spinning those. You got another one. That seems true. I haven't tried the spinning of plates, but it seems true. Or like you're treading water and then someone just throws you a baby and you have to keep your head above water and the baby above water. That one also seems true. Haven't tried it. Becky's giving me like a don't ever try that. Um, <laughs> all that to say that it's been amazing, wonderful, challenging. Uh, it's a time of leaning on God. And I just share all that with you because uh, as a thank you, as a report, and because I can. Um, I think it just helps sharing, you know, just I want you to know how I feel. Um, somehow I'm comforted in that. I've also noticed that my prayers, this is the last thing, I've noticed that my prayers have become audible, like in, especially in youth group, the students will often hear me say, God help me, just repeatedly throughout our time. Okay, I'm good, that's where I'm at, I shared this morning, okay. We're in a passage today uh, where we see what happens uh, after the resurrection, uh, so Wayne closed our Easter series last week and uh, with what it means to live in the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And then thinking last week in my own study and thinking of what we were covering in youth, uh, I came across Luke 24 and just thought it was so fitting to, uh, to dwell here today. Um, our passage is one that focuses on the time in Jesus' life that we see little of, um, but it's really, really is fascinating. The majority of what is covered in the gospel of Jesus' life is his ministry, uh, and we have less of when he rose again and when he ascended. So this is just one of the very few accounts um, of this time. And I want to put ourselves in the minds of the disciples who visited the grave and did not see his body, which is one thing, but then uh, who then experienced the person of Christ and experienced being with Jesus alive again, which was a whole another level of uh, realization of what had happened. And so that's where we're going today, to take a look back on the account from people who Jesus revealed himself to after he had risen. And so uh, this part is important. I found myself really enjoying getting into the story of the space between Jesus' death and ascension and what can be learned from uh, these encounters with the, this encounter with the risen Lord. So bear with me. I want to take a, some, a few minutes to bring us up to date with where we'll be at in our text, and more specifically from the author of Luke, um, and what he's been trying to convey in his gospel. So, uh, Luke begins his gospel with the birth of an unlikely king. I'm taking you back to the beginning, Luke 1. Um, 
he, he begins with the birth of an unlikely king uh, from lowly circumstances, from a humble beginning. And it's important to note that when back at Luke 1, we see a lot of royal language being used by the author. He uh, wants us, the readers, to understand this frame of mind that to see Jesus as a ruler, uh, someone who will reign, who will sit on the throne. Um, and so and he even references the prophets in the Old Testament that use kingly language in their prophecies. And so this is all very purposeful by Luke. And I want to keep that in mind as we move forward. Uh, then Luke shares in his gospel how Jesus was a teacher, um, a prophet, calling the people to follow him in his radical teachings. And these were teachings uh, that showed how enemies should be loved as friends, uh, how the poor are cared for, how there's forgiveness in failures. And Jesus went from town to town inviting people to follow him and live under God's reign in this new way and to abide by these radical teachings. And Jesus in his ministry also did many signs and wonders which led the people to imagine and to hope that he would one day rescue Israel from the Romans and set up a new kingdom of peace and justice and basically that Jesus would set up God's kingdom here on earth. But Luke also shares that there are other religious leaders at the time who were also hoping and striving to set up God's kingdom here on earth, but by their own means and in their own way. Uh, and to them, Jesus was not a help to their cause, but um, a threat to their power. And these religious leaders were hoping to gain prestige and power from all their efforts. Uh, but here comes Jesus teaching that God's kingdom belongs to the poor and to the outsiders. And Jesus says that the real power is serving others out of love. And that just that conflicts with what these religious leaders were teaching at the time. And so uh, this conflict reaches its escalation uh, when Jesus comes to the temple and rebukes the religious leaders and calls them a gang of rebels. We remember that scene. Um, it's a pretty famous one. I think there were some tables flipped. Uh, and we read it with a certain admiration for Jesus, right? There's an attitude of justice that comes to mind, that these leaders got what they had coming to them. But we also have to remember that uh, that's kind of the minority view at the time. Uh, it was shocking and inappropriate in the leader's eyes what Jesus did in the temple, in the holy place. And it's something uh, that is extremely offensive and wrong, and, and it couldn't go unpunished. So as we know, and as Luke tells, they have him arrested. They take him to the Roman authorities and accuse Jesus of being a rebel leader, and he's handed over for execution, even though he was innocent. And he's then taken outside the city uh, and put to death on the cross. Uh, Luke then shares how there was a religious leader, Joseph, who opposed what they had done and requested to take uh, Jesus' body and bury it in his tomb, and they grant him that. And then Luke shares how two women who had known Jesus, Mary and Mary Magdalene, came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. And they come across these two angels, these two men dressed in dazzling clothes uh, that told them that Jesus is not here, but alive from the dead. And then Luke shares how these women uh, went back and told the disciples, but their testimony did not convince the disciples. And no one believed them. And I think if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, it'd be hard to believe them, right? They were, they were there. They saw Jesus on the cross, and they saw him die. And so then we come to our passage this morning, where we find two disciples traveling to Emmaus. So with all that in mind, the, the birth of Jesus, uh, the kingly language, the hope in which uh, they had in him to be the one who would take them out from under Roman rule, 
the run-in with the religious leaders to his death to now where he is not at the tomb. Let's start reading in verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, O slow of hearts to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. God, thank you for your gift of life. Thank you for the many blessings that uh, you bestow upon us every day, uh, the many that we don't even recognize. I want to thank you for sustaining us. Even when our bodies, our minds, our souls are weary, uh, you carry us, God. We're so thankful for, for that, to be able to lean upon you in times of need. I pray that you would bless us this morning as we hear from your word. God, give me the words to say and the way in which to say them. Uh, may our souls be enriched and may we, may we be brought closer to you. Um, we pray for deeper understanding of who you are and what you're doing in our lives, that we could praise you more and participate in your ministry. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, I want to spend some time unpacking this passage a bit more. I don't know if you can tell by now with the times I preach, but my favorite part is just going back and reliving these passages in the Bible. I like to put ourselves in, in these stories and to relive them. So we're going to do that, whether you like it or not. Uh, verse... 13 through 16, Luke is setting this scene for us. We have two travelers heading from Jerusalem uh, to Emmaus, which would be like walking from, if we all walked from this church this morning over to 
like past the mall over to the Chick-fil-A over there. I don't know if you guys know where the Chick-fil-A is by the mall. It's by Sam's Club in Roseville. It's like seven miles away. Leave it to a youth person in youth ministry to know at any time, at any location, how far a Chick-fil-A is <laughs> from them. So it's like walking over there. And it's, this is happening on the same day that Mary and Mary had their encounter at the tomb. We have this encounter with two people on the road. Jesus is on the move. And at that very moment, uh, they're just walking along talking. Jesus comes up to them and begins traveling with them, which apparently isn't weird. I would find that weird today. But back then, it's normal. Travelers be traveling. But they don't know it's him. And the text would imply that it's something uh, being done to them. This traveler comes along. It's Jesus. But their eyes were being kept from recognizing him. And to me, it just kind of has that undercover boss. I don't know if you guys watched that show, Undercover Boss, where the boss is in disguise. He goes to work in his own company with his employees. So I just feel like these people were about to talk about Jesus to Jesus without knowing that it's Jesus. Super intimidating. Uh, But we have our setting. So there's three people, two of them, Jesus in disguise. And uh, then in verses 17 through 20, Luke shares some of this conversation. These two guys are travelers, are talking about the latest news. They're talking about the life, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, the, the biggest events of that weekend. And Jesus asks, what are they talking about? And I just imagine they're kind of deep in their own conversation of, of Jesus. And they're saying things like, yeah, I mean, he was always talking about the kingdom of God. And remember that miracle that he did? I mean, I thought that was something. That had to be something. And, and his life and his teachings were so, I mean, we thought he was the one. And all of a sudden, this guy comes along and just says, what are you guys talking about? And it's so shocking to them that in mid-conversation, as they're walking, they just stop in their tracks. They just they come to a standstill, and they look at him, and, and they have this sadness over them. And I think it just shows how big of a deal everything from the weekend was and how Jesus' trial and crucifixion um, how it really was the, the biggest thing that had happened to them. It was life-changing, not just for Jesus. I mean, it was life-changing for everyone that followed. It showed how, uh, how the Jewish people, how these people had been looking to Jesus with hope and how devastated they were when the one who had filled them with hope and expectation died on the cross. One of the travelers couldn't believe that this guy, who we know as Jesus, had no clue about the recent events. And in verse 18 says, are you the only one that doesn't know? I mean, where have you been? How do you not know? And Jesus then asked, what things? What should I be knowing about? What are you talking about? Which we know is Jesus' way of getting the two travelers to tell their version of the story, right? He's inquiring about what they believe. And and in two questions, we've already gotten to the heart of the issue, which is amazing. And so they tell him in verses 19 through 20 uh, that Jesus, this Nazarene, was seen as a legitimate messenger from God. We're talking prophet status. They thought he was a big deal. And he was teaching amazing things, doing incredible works. And they also convey that it was clear, somehow it was clear that God favored him and that all the people also favored him and saw him um, as a powerful leader. But their nation's rulers clashed with him and conspired and got him killed. So that's kind of the recap. And then in verses 21 through 24, we see their hearts and why they're so sad, why they're so downcast and heavy. And it's because they were hoping that he was going to be the one. 
They thought he was the one they had been waiting for. They thought he was the one that was going to be uh, freeing them from Roman rule and making Israel into its own powerful nation. And they had to explain to Jesus, a.k.a. our stranger, uh, that's been three days now since Jesus died. Uh, so there's, there really is no hope. I mean, the reality is setting in of Jesus has died, um, and we just don't know what to do. Uh, but overall, in their recap, there just seems to be a tone of sadness, of hopelessness, and despair, disappointment. And so what do, what do we learn from them, and what do we learn from these travelers? Uh, I think we, we see that they had specific hopes and expectations of Jesus, and they were clearly not met. Uh, this man, Jesus, in their minds had promise and potential, but in the end, he died. In their minds, he let them down. He wasn't supposed to die like that. And from their understanding, this wasn't what they had come to expect. It all went wrong. And so I think they show us also the importance of right understanding, because a wrong understanding leads to wrong expectations, which leads to disappointment and hopelessness. These travelers and disciples had a wrong understanding of the story, of who Jesus was, even who God was, which led them to have wrong expectations of who Jesus would be and what he would do. I think we can learn from that. What we believe about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, affects our expectations of how God and the Bible will affect us and play out in our lives. These travelers had the wrong understanding, again, which led to wrong expectation, led them to disappointment, despair, and hopelessness with how it all played out. You see, while they knew the scriptures, the prophecies that someone was coming to redeem them and save them, they did not understand what that would actually look like. They had the information, but they hadn't put it together correctly. And Jesus is going to address that. So what happens next in our story is, is verses 25 through 27, uh, which show Jesus retelling the same story that they knew, but in, with the right perspective. It's all the same facts and events, but aligned in the right way to help them see what, it, uh, what did happen, which was Jesus dying, was the sacrifice that the prophecies had been talking about this whole time. Jesus explains how this is what the Jewish scriptures have been talking about all along, how Israel needed a king who would suffer and die as a rebel on behalf of those who were actually rebels or sinners, and that he would be vindicated by his resurrection so that he would give true life to those who believe in him. Jesus explains to them, this is actually what was necessary. We had, this had to happen. They thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom but it was a heavenly one. They thought Jesus was going to save them from the reign of the Romans, but he saved them from the reign of sin in their lives. They thought Jesus was going to be their king and usher in new life for the nation of Israel here on earth, but Jesus had to die, and his sacrifice was the only thing that could save and bring them eternal life. They just had it all wrong. And what a wonderful moment uh, for Jesus to see him uh, meeting these travelers where they're at. In their sadness and misunderstanding uh, and hopelessness, Jesus, Jesus lays it all out for them. He begins with Moses, goes through all the prophets, and explains to them the truth about himself, or to them, to Jesus, who had died, and we don't know where he is. And they don't, and they don't fully understand it yet, because they still don't recognize that it's him. But they're getting... They're getting it, and it's, things are stirring in their hearts. 
on a side note, I would definitely love to have been on that walk. I mean, to just hearing Jesus explain scripture about himself, I wish that was like, that would be seminary right there. I wouldn't, I could be done. After one walk, I'm good. Walk right up to the, to the podium, get my, okay. I can dream. So, what is happening here? Jesus is helping them have a right understanding, uh, which would lead to right expectation, which would lead to joy and celebration and hope instead of the disappointment and despair they were feeling. From their explanation earlier, when Jesus asked that question and they answered, uh, Jesus saw that these two people's hopelessness, that their notion that Jesus had let them down, came from a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do. And so he, he helps them in that. He corrects them. Back to our story at verse uh, 28. At this point, uh, they're approaching their destination. It's late. Uh, and so in verses 20 through 32, we, this is where Jesus reveals himself. Um, and their eyes are opened. Uh, Jesus does that thing in verse 28 where he acts like he's going to keep going. Um, and the people urge him to, and express their desire for him to stay. Uh, have you ever done something like this? If you say no, I don't believe you because I feel like we all do this. But maybe you're like at a, maybe it's at a dinner and you were invited over for dinner and then technically the dinner's over. Um, so you just the polite thing to say would be like, oh, I, well, I should probably get going. And you're just hoping that they say, no, please stay. You're hoping that they're enjoying their time. You're enjoying, the good times can keep on rolling. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so you're just hoping that response is something, it's, like, it's a bit of an affirmation. Um, and this is kind of what Jesus does. Though he's not fishing for affirmation, it's Jesus' way of, ex- of saying, like, hey, I've explained, I've spent some time with you today explaining the scriptures of revealing the truth to you. Um, do you want more? Do you want to continue this? Are you still interested? See, he's not forcing himself upon them. I, I think there's truth for... Uh, for us there, and we'll come back to that. But he's, he's letting them respond. Do you want more? And, and they do. And they ask him, yeah, please stay. Uh, uh, stay with us. And so in verse 30, they're sitting down for a meal. And Luke writes, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Oh, man. This... Uh, This is so good. So they've been listening to Jesus explain scriptures about who he is, and they still don't recognize him. And it's at this moment where Jesus breaks the bread, which we know during the Last Supper represented his broken body. And it's in that moment that now their eyes are open, and they see that it's Jesus, the one that died on the cross, um, and now rose from the dead and is alive. I mean, just put yourself at this table. You have been on a walk that day uh, with a guy who really knows his stuff and knows the Bible, and is un- un- teaching you things in ways you've never heard before. And at this, and he's, he's going to keep going, but you're like, no, no, please, you're really cool, and we want to spend more time with you. Uh, come have dinner with us. And so in, in the dinner, he breaks the bread, and, and you suddenly realize, it's Jesus. We thought this man was dead. It's been three days. There's no hope that this man is alive. And he is sitting with us across the table, serving us a meal. Jesus then disappears. He's gone. And we know from later in the chapter that he goes to be with his disciples. Um, But in our passage, the travelers are left just sitting there by themselves. 
And I think they realize why their hearts have been yearning all day and so engaged and the spirit has been stirring in them because it was Jesus talking about Jesus to them. And, and the realization that he's alive. I mean, just a total upside down in their minds now, right? Um, and then verses 33 through 35 share with what they do after encountering Jesus. They, remember, they had been heading away from Jerusalem where everything had happened and uh, then this whole experience with Jesus, realigning their understanding and ex- expectations of Jesus. They sit down for a meal, breaks the bread, they recognize it's him. And so they get up immediately and they return to Jerusalem to go and find the disciples who uh, we see have also experienced uh, the recognition that Jesus is not dead. And so these two travelers share their experience with Jesus to the 11 about the road and how it was during the breaking of bread where they saw him for who he truly was. And that moment stands out to them, that moment where they recognize Christ. And I think that's what it's saying here is that this was significant and that was the very moment that their eyes were opened. When the bread was broken, they recognized that it was Jesus. So we have our, uh, our road to Emmaus and I hope we all have a better understanding now of kind of what these accounts and what happened. And it's a story that's more than just how Jesus appeared after death. It's more than just an account of people saw him. Uh, I think the importance lies in how it's necessary to view Jesus correctly. We've all heard the saying that perception is reality, right? Well, these two travelers had a sad and hopeless reality because of their incorrect perception. And Jesus put them on the road to a new reality, one full of hope. Uh, the, the guys at Bible Project, I was just talking about them with someone, a couple guys today, they have a video on Luke 24, and it says everything, like, it's really good. And I would encourage you to go YouTube, Bible Project, Luke 24. But they say this, about this chapter, this is a story about how it's hard to see Jesus for who he really is. How could God's royal power and love be revealed through this man's shameful execution? How could a humble man become the king of the world through weakness and self-sacrifice? It's very hard to see, but this is the message of the Gospel of Luke. It takes a transformation of your imagination to see it and embrace the upside down of God's kingdom. And I like that because they're, just, they're emphasizing how backwards and against our sinful human nature uh, the kingdom of God is. And that's why it's hard uh, for not just these travelers, but for the nation of Israel, for people today, uh, to see that Jesus is the Messiah, is who he says he is, because it just happened and it was done in a way that uh, we would not have come up with, that we would not have planned. So this is why I've called uh, the sermon uh, The Road to a New Reality, because what happens here with these two people is, I think, what happens with the lives of anyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ. Uh, we were walking our own path in a reality, reality that leads to sadness and despair and hopelessness, whether we saw it or not. We may have some understanding of God, the life of Christ, or even of the Bible, uh, and even living according to our understanding of those things, but it wasn't whole or complete or maybe even correct. And it takes Jesus meeting us where we're at, revealing the, the truth of him to us, and realigning our perspective to have uh, a deeper understanding and truer expectations of Jesus and of this life that we have, and thus to be full of hope, uh, a true hope. 
The road to a new reality starts with Christ, and Christ puts us on that road. Christ meets us where we're at. He approaches us. Uh, Christ waits for us to respond. Christ realigns our understanding of this world. It's Christ that transforms our hearts. And Christ is the one who, because he lives, we have life. Amen? Okay, I want to shift now to some exhortation for us today. I have three things that I think uh, this passage addresses directly. At least they've spoken to me this week, and my hope is that they'll speak to you. The first is, when you share the gospel, look at the approach that Jesus had. When you share the gospel, look at the approach that Jesus had. And notice I said when, so I'm already making the assumption that we're all sharing the gospel. It's a big assumption, but we're trying, right? Uh, Okay, so when you share the gospel, and I say this too also, that this doesn't just pertain to strict evangelizing, but probably even more so disciple-making. It's this process of, over time, continually sharing Christ with others. So when you are doing that, when you're just sharing Christ with others, look to Jesus. And what sticks out to me about Jesus' approach is that it happens in this chapter through walks and meals. In other words, the ordinary parts of life. In church, let me tell you, I love the ordinary parts of life. I'm a big fan. If you invite me to go do something super crazy and exciting, like I'll think about it and it could be tempting. But if you say, I have soup ready and we're going to watch TV, I'm there. Like I love ordinary things. And so I love that Jesus is all about just during walks and meals, uh, I'm going to be doing things. I'm going to be sharing the truth. In everyday, ordinary, routine life, that's where Jesus took the time to share, to teach, and to lead them. I think we can put this pressure on ourselves and maybe uh, pressure that keeps us from ever actually doing anything, uh, that certain things on an evangelizing checklist have to be met, like my personal knowledge of Bible and and Jesus, uh, make sure I know my arguments, make sure I know my rebuttal to their arguments, um, which is a lot to think about. And for some, that is helpful um, and helpful in certain scenarios. But it might also be effective or more helpful for some of us just to think and spend more energy in you know, asking people over for dinner or being intentional to sit next to uh, you know, a certain people at your kids' sports games or offer to help them move that large piece of furniture that they were talking about or accept their invitation to dinner. It's, uh, it's the idea of meeting them where they're at Uh, enter into the world and have some conversation about what they are going through. I'm not trying to diminish the well-thought-out evangelistic approach, but rather just trying to give uh, more weight to the importance of including people who need more of Jesus in everyday life in your everyday life. What if we use our everyday life to show how Jesus is alive and a part of our reality? I also noticed about these two activities that we see here in Luke 24, something else, and it's that these activities, uh, walking and meals, embrace conversation. Uh, I thought about it, and I was like, when do I do most of my talking? Well, it's probably like in the car with Becky and uh, going somewhere. I I talk with people, or on a walk around the neighborhood, I'm talking. Um, On a hike, you converse, you catch up on life and share what's in your heart. You do the same thing over meals, right? Over the dinner table or out at a restaurant or you invite someone to coffee. It's this intentional time. You're refueling your body, but you're also uh, 
sharing with others what's on your mind, what's on your heart, and also listening to what is on theirs. Um, and so what a perfect time to share with others and to meet with others where they're at, to hear where they're coming from, where they're at in life, and to maybe engage with them in that. There's just something special about meals in life. We see that in the Bible. We see that in this passage. There are times of fellowship, of sharing, of family, uh, of relating, and communion with one another. And again, the expectation is that we're sharing the gospel, but take a page out of Jesus' book and do it during everyday life. Uh, This is something that has been taught and shown to me and that Becky and I want to have in our lives at Jessup with college students of just having them over and not for anything special, but just to be there. Um, Or the youth students, just having them see us in our ups and downs, our routine of life, and how we strive to follow Jesus through all of it. And not necessarily even succeeding in the striving. You know, it's just showing other people uh, the progress and the challenge of following God. I know that was, uh, I didn't plan on sharing this, but I think it's perfect. That was exemplified to me from Pastor Wayne since high school. He invited me over plenty of times to help him, uh, you know, clean out his garage or to help him move or to help you a lot, actually. I'm really, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> my mom was upset that I came home with a lot of VHSs one time. We had no VHS player. It was, anyways, Wayne, <laughs> Wayne just invited me to be a part of his life. And it was very helpful for me to see this is what a godly man is. And just, there was no big occasion or no big decisions, just everyday life, family life. Um, and that spoke to me a lot. So think about that in your life. Of, in, in your everyday life, who's a person that can be with you in that? The second thing is, after you've shared, after you've witnessed, uh, let them respond. After you share, let them respond. Just like we saw Jesus in his own way put the ball back in their court, these travelers, uh, by almost continuing on the road, he let them respond to the truth he had revealed by saying, no, we want you to stay. We want you to come have dinner with us. And I believe that if they had not been stirred, if the Spirit had not been working in their hearts, and they did not want to hear anymore, that they would not have asked Jesus to stay. And Jesus wouldn't have forced himself to stay. So Jesus could have said something like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. And if they did not want to, if they did not res- want to respond positively, or if the Spirit had not grabbed them, I think they would have said something like, all right, we'll see you, see you later, travel safe. And this account would not have happened. But it did, and Jesus was there, and the Spirit was working in them. But we have to let people respond in their own way and in their own time. We cannot force them uh, into anything. Uh, we can't force them into a relationship with Christ. And when you think about it, it's, it makes for great moments when people who you have been uh, praying for or witnessing to or sharing with, uh, when they ask for more, when they, from their own will, when they come and say, I'm ready, I want to know more. I want to know what this is about. Can you tell me more? And how real and authentic that is for them instead of having been pushed into something. At the same time, when people don't do that, that's just an opportunity for us to continue to trust God, remain steadfast and consistent, and continue being a witness to them. But in the sharing, uh, we have to remember, too, that it's not about us. It's not about proving how effective or successful we are in our evangelistic ways. Uh, While we care about people coming into saving relationship with God, we don't do it for selfish reasons. We are a part of the work that the Spirit is doing in them. So, 
You share, you witness, and you wait for them to respond. So uh, the first two points of application are when you share, uh, consider Jesus' approach and the opportunities that occur in everyday life. And secondly, after you do share, let them respond to the truth. And my last point is this idea that right understanding leads to right expectation, which leads to hope. Maybe the road you are on right now leads to disappointment, despair, and hopelessness. And maybe uh, we need to, uh, to do a self-assessment to see some of our misunderstandings of areas in our lives. And this point of, it can, it can also has a broad application, right? It can apply to if you misunderstand something, you're going to expect wrong things from it, and you're going to be disappointed by it. Um, that applies to a lot of life. Um, so, for example, maybe you expected more from our Sacramento Kings this season, like a playoff berth. Uh, you're disappointed. And maybe that's because you don't understand what a rebuild is in basketball and an organization and how long it takes. If you do, please come talk to me afterwards because I'm dealing with some despair and disappointment. Okay, but on a more serious note, uh, maybe you don't have a right understanding and expectation of work and rest and how it, you're supposed to Sabbath in life and how work is in everything. And this could lead to wrong expectation of what your work will do for you and provide for you. Uh, maybe you're dealing with despair and weariness as a result in your career. Um, maybe you're feeling a bit of hopelessness or feeling of despair in your marriage. Uh, and it could be beneficial to ask, do I have a right understanding of what this marriage relationship should look like? What my role is, what their role is. Maybe it's a wrong understanding that led to some wrong expectation of yourself or of your spouse and of your roles. And it's meaning disappointment and sadness and brokenness and tension. Uh, maybe with the church, uh, we have frustration and tension and disappointment. And while maybe some of that is okay, maybe we have a wrong understanding of church and it's leading to wrong expectation of the church and its role in our lives. Maybe we don't have a right understanding of worship and the role that music and praise has in our lives or on a Sunday morning. And maybe our understanding is leading to wrong expectation of ourselves or of others. Uh, and this is leading to frustration and tension. Maybe we have tension with God and we have a certain disappointment in our faith and there's some anger and frustration that we have to deal with that comes from what we think uh, that we think that God is there for us. We would never say that out loud. If you were to be asked, what do you believe about God? You probably wouldn't say, I believe that God is there for me. But maybe uh, in the way that you pray or in your thoughts about what should happen in the world, what should happen to us, we expect certain things from God. When these things don't happen, like when this person doesn't recover from their injury or sickness, or when the job offer didn't come through as expected and prayed about, or you didn't get the grades that you were hoping for, or maybe when you're just not experiencing a thriving season in life, we somehow have a disappointment or sadness or despair towards God, and we've become hopeless. And I think that's clearly because we have a wrong understanding of God, of who God is, and it's led to wrong expectations of what God would do in our lives. 
And so this is the exhortation, is to, to let the word of God, let the spirit in you, and let Jesus put you on a road to a new reality. And this truth, uh, this work may need time because some of those roots run really deep. Um, our beliefs and understandings can take a lot of undoing because they affect so much of our lives and um, our understanding can affect so much of what we think and uh, how we act, what we expect. And it takes time and intentionality um, and just constantly laying that before God to say, I, I want to have the right understanding of this, uh, whatever that may be, your work, your marriage, your uh, relationship with the church. It's a right understanding of God that leads to right expectation, that leads to hope. This is the road to a new reality. And it's a road that we are on forever. We'll continually come to a better understanding of God. We don't reach that here on earth, right? We're never going to perfectly know God. So it's continuing to know him better and better. And our expectations are thus constantly being realigned in a way that should bring us more hope found in Christ. So... uh, I would encourage you to do a, a bit of a self-assessment. What are the areas of life that might need a change in understanding which would change your expectation, which would change your reality? As I close, I just want to uh, reemphasize the truth from our passage this morning, which is that uh, it can be really hard to see Jesus for who he really is. And sometimes we are at the heart of why it is so difficult. Maybe it's our misunderstanding of God and the role he plays in our lives that is keeping us from experiencing more of the hope that is found in him. Uh, On a better note, a fuller understanding of Jesus brings hope. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we see the grace and forgiveness and love that his kingdom is about. We see how Jesus meets people where they're at. We see Jesus let them respond and we see how much hope Jesus brings when we understand him correctly. So, Let's seek to be like Jesus in our witness and always seek for eternity to know him better and to have a better understanding of the God that we love and serve. Let's pray.